It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Hey, uh, so and uh, shout out to our podcast peeps from uh, wherever you're joining us from. Great to have you with us. A couple of months ago, I really felt God nudge me to put leadership right at the top of our agenda regarding our teaching and uh, just really see God show us and build into us and give us some skills and grow our capacity to influence those in our spheres. And so we've uh, taught in, in the beginning of that two-month stretch a series called Lead Like Jesus, uh, four weeks just looking at how he led. And, you know, some of how he led is different to the, the corporate or some of the corporate uh, models that we see. We then took, did a, a two-week mini-series called Don't Take the Bait. And really this was looking at the idea that, that we can get caught up. We can get stuck if we don't learn to deal with offenses that come our way. And then the last two weeks, we taught a mini-series called Dark Horses, really highlighting the idea that God sometimes and oftentimes takes unlikely people um, to cause them to be used by Him to do significant things. Today, I wanna show you a concept of in leadership that is absolutely vital for us to understand. It's, it's called or commonly referred to as 360 degree leadership. Let me show you what that looks like. Now, those of you on the podcast, you can go to our website. You can see this slide in our podcast section. But this bottom of this slide, lead down, that's really the, I guess, the most obvious and probably the most common perspective that we have when we think about leadership, leading people that are under us, you know, whether that's uh, in age, whether that's on the organizational chart in your workplace, that's kind of the conventional perspective. But the idea of 360 degree leadership really zooms out from that and it paints the picture that there are other aspects that can be brought into our leadership influence, that we can actually learn to and build the capacity to lead across, lead peers, lead colleagues, lead those in our family group that we have no positional uh, authority over. Also, one of the less likely, uh, but actually doable things is, is developing both the capacity and the skill set to lead up, that you can be used in your workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your uh, place of study to actually lead and influence those above you. So that's kind of the moving parts of 360 degree leadership. This concept wasn't really um, invented by John Maxwell, but he's certainly someone who's very much popularized it. I mean, specifically even writing a book on it. One of the things that John Maxwell points out, having outlined this concept of 360 degree leadership is the most important piece. Let's go back. The most, Im- back. the most important piece in this picture, the most important and critical leadership component in this model is the one right in the middle. In fact, John Maxwell ascribes that our ability to lead ourselves well makes up 50% of our leadership journey. That actually requires 50% of our leadership focus, that our ability to lead the man or the woman in the mirror well 
needs to be 50% of us, our leadership focus in order for us to ultimately be effective across all of these 360 degree spheres. So today we're launching a series. It's gonna be a four week series called All the Feels. And looking at four emotions, four powerful emotions that are given to us from God and that if we don't learn to manage them and instead allow them to manage us, they'll take us to places God never intended and ultimately will limit and potentially fully erode our ability to influence. Now, this right here, this is a tea towel. And uh, this tea towel nearly ruined my marriage. Well, actually, not this tea towel, uh, all tea towels. Every tea towel that entered my house, our house, Louisa and my, for the first five years of our marriage, every tea towel that entered our house nearly caused the divorce papers to be written up, signed, and uh, sent to the lawyers. How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you hang your tea towels or some of your tea towels over the oven door handle? Can I, can I, yeah, all right. So yeah, it's pretty common practice. I mean, look, I don't even know why they call it an oven door handle. It should be called a tea towel rack that's affixed to the front of the oven door. But anyway, us too. And I, look, some of you, I've told you this before, full, full disclosure, I do like me for the corners to match up. Anybody else? Am I right? Yeah, good on you, Errol. Errol's wearing the same shirt as me and has the same healthy worldview as me. It's great. You, you, you'll go a long way, my friend. So I like them to, to, marry, to marry up. But incidentally, when I told this very story several years ago, one of our people went home and put their uh, sewing skills to the test and they actually sewed us tea towels that had press studs in the corners. And I was like, that is so good. So I cried and I couldn't wait to try it out. I put it on the oven door. I clipped them together. Next morning, I go to grab the tea towel. Whoop, and I just about like slipped on a banana peel because those stupid press studs caught. So we threw them out. It was a terrible idea. Anyway, so now Louisa doesn't share my penchant for the aesthetic beauty of tea towel corners to be magnificently aligned. I mean, look, I hope you don't mind me saying this. Sometimes it's a miracle if those tea towels even make it to the oven door. And if they do, there is no thought given to how that tea towel rests on the oven door. Look, sometimes the tea towel was even hung inside out. Tara just said, uh, obviously it was a joke. That doesn't matter, does it? They both went to the same high school. It explains a lot. All right. So any time that I would, and by the way, any time that I would see the offending tea towel hanging skew-if on our oven door, I would start hulking out like majorly. And by the way, we lived in a very small house. You could typically see the tea towels from just about every square inch of our house. And so I would see the tea towel hung wrong, wrong, hung wrong. Did you hear me say that? Hung wrong. And I would, I'd start hulking out. 
And this was a problem. This was a massive, massive problem. Because here's the thing. When you're angry, I mean, you, you're angry because you're right. Right? Yeah. So I was right. And I would start hulking out because I was right. The problem is that this response didn't serve our marriage very well. And my, and, and by the way, this was just one of many examples. In January, we will have been married for 24 years. And I will say to you at that time, we've been married for 24 years, happily for 19. Because the first five years was an absolute train wreck. Absolute train wreck for which I am at least 90% responsible. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just, to, oh, I'm, look, I'm, I, I, it, Hey, I ain't too proud to beg. It's a true story. But here's the thing. The problem, it can be uh, picking your battles, and I'll come back to that in a moment, like what's really important. Uh, I'll come back to that. But the bigger issue was my lack of ability to manage my response. And what would happen is instead of me managing my emotions, my emotions would manage me. And they would lead me to places that weren't God's best. They would lead me to places that weren't the best in our marriage. And by the way, I did this also in my early years of my leadership journey. I would hulk out at the most preposterous things and lose it uh, to the people I was leading, who, by the way, didn't let me lead them for the long term. Because, you know, who wants to follow someone like that? And so if we don't learn to manage our emotions, we will limit our ability to influence and potentially even forfeit our ability to influence. Now, feelings are powerful and feelings are important. So this, we, we're not gonna teach to become a stoic, like don't have feelings, don't have emotions. Feelings and emotions are a gift from God. But like any gift, how we choose to use it and how we learn to use it matters and will ultimately be a hinge for us in our life and in our leadership. So I wanna show you something from the life of Moses. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, pop it open to Numbers chapter 20. And this very intentionally picks up from something we taught last week. Now, last week, we had our week two of our mini-series, Dark Horses, looking at Moses when Moses was called by God to speak to the Pharaoh of Egypt at the time the Israelites were in captivity uh, for, for decades. And, and Moses, instead of saying, yes, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, he put up four excuses and then one just absurd statement. And he was trying to get out of it. He didn't see himself as being the, the right pick. Uh, he figured God had got the pick wrong. Now, spoiler, and by the way, we, we wouldn't have read about Moses if he didn't eventually say yes. So he did eventually say yes and ultimately went to Pharaoh and ultimately as God's uh, mouthpiece to Pharaoh, Pharaoh agreed, bizarre, agreed to let the Israelites go. And so Moses now um, was, was given the ongoing responsibility of leading the people out of Egypt towards the promised land. And ultimately God wanted Moses to lead the Israelites into the land that he'd promised them. We pick up the slice of history where uh, they hadn't yet made it into the land God promised them. And in fact, what they were doing was walking around in the desert and they'd been walking around in the desert for many, many, many years. And I don't know, I've never walked around the desert for years, but I can imagine it wasn't fun anymore. And history would suggest that it wasn't fun anymore. In fact, the people started to complain, you know, about Moses and his leadership. You know, 
like at your work. And, and, and they're saying, you know, because everyone knows how Moses should be doing his job and everyone knows what Moses is doing wrong and everyone's whinging about Moses and everyone's telling Moses, you have no clue. And everyone's, you know, surely God didn't teach you and didn't pick you. And by the way, what did you bring us out here to die? We'd, let's just go back to Egypt. It's better to be in slavery than walk around here. And they ran out of water for the humans and for their livestock. So if you're in the desert, water matters, I imagine. And they didn't have access to any. And so Moses got a little bit tired of all the complaining. Shaney, too much of complaining. That's what the Italians call him. And they, and Moses, but Moses did the pro move. He went to God for advice. Some of you might want to write that one down. And God told Moses to do three things. Moses, first of all, go and get the staff of the Lord, this, this holy uh, implement that the person holding it by them actually having access to it and holding it up in front of the people was actually a, a demonstration and a confirmation that they were God's chosen leader. So go and get the staff. That's number one. Call the people, all of the people, to a particular rock. That's the second thing I want you to do, Moses. And then when they all get there, I want you to speak to the rock and water will come forth. And when the water comes out, the people will know that you're still my chosen guy for the job. That's it, three things. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Check. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Check. So now he's got to just do the third thing. Speak to the rock and water will come out. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. This wasn't the plan. He was meant to speak to the rock. Now he's speaking to the people, but not actually speaking to them. He's yelling at them. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. So, okay, the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. Now, if you didn't go to Bible college, let me explain what's happening here. In this moment in history, Moses is losing his stuff. That's what you'll learn if you go to Bible college. And, and by the way, it's okay sometimes for a leader to lose their stuff, but lose it behind closed doors. Lose it with a few maybe trusted confidants who could ultimately maybe talk you down from the ledge and help you move forward. This wasn't Moses' approach. He was losing his stuff in front of the entire nation of Israel. Now, it is easy to look at this story and think, well, look, you know, at the end of the day, they got their water. I mean, the end justifies the means. You know, like Moses, okay, he didn't do how God said, but still got the end result. So, you know, what difference does it make? I mean, just drink your water, give, it, give some to your livestock and let's move on. But we immediately come to learn that this response, this Moses' lack of ability, ability to manage his anger, Moses allowing his anger to manage him ultimately was a pivotal point in Moses' life. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not 
lead them into the land I'm giving them. See, Moses didn't just lose his temper. Moses lost his credibility. In fact, by allowing his anger to manage him, he forfeited the opportunity that God had already called him to. God actually pulled the job offer off the table because Moses didn't and couldn't manage his anger. So just in the time remaining, what I want to do today, and as a recovering angerholic, I want to show you a few things that I've learned in my journey. We're still married and very happily married, and I very rarely uh, lose my stuff these days. Um, so I'm still not 100% cured, but uh, I'm heading in the right direction. Yep, amen to that. Uh, so let me just show you, and I want to set up three myths. That, that in our culture that are reasonably pervasive when it comes to anger. And then I want to drop a couple of tools in to, to, to help you, if this is a thing for you, to help you maybe uh, get better at managing anger rather than anger managing you. The first myth is that it's a myth that anger is automatic, especially in traffic. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, Right? The person in the outside lane doing the speed limit, you know that the outside lane, it's not a speed limit, it's a speed minimum. That number that you're going past, 80, it's a suggestion, people. And so you get angry. Or this one, merging traffic. Merging traffic, the way God designed it to work, is that it should zipper in. One, 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 one. So God help you if somebody tries to squeeze two cars in a row in front of you in the zipper line. I know, I feel your pain. But what, what people, and I've had people say this to me, who buy into this myth, is they say, I'm just an emotional person. <laughs> and I say to them, we are all emotional people. What you're telling me is you've not yet developed the ability to manage your emotions. And you're hiding behind that and saying, well, I'm just an emotional person. I mean, you know, come on, you can't expect anything more from me, surely. And it's like, well, it's, are your emotions as an emotional person, here's the question, are they leading you to better places in your life, in your leadership, in your relationships? Are they leading you to better places or... Are they actually like Moses? It's not just your temper that you're losing, but ultimately your credibility. Paul wrote something that I just think, you know, let's slice and dice it this way. He wrote to the church in Ephesus, don't, let, don't sin by letting anger control you. Paul called it out. He wasn't saying that being angry is the sin. He's saying letting it control you is when it becomes sinful. And sinful is just taking you to something that's less than God's best. So here's some tools that I personally developed. These aren't my own patented tools. The first tool is when you feel you're about to start hulking out, score the issue or the incident, score it on a scale from one to 10. One being no eternal importance and 10 being this is the most important thing to God and therefore to me. Give it a score. And if it's low on that score, it may be just like, just move on. 
Like just step over it and move. This is not, like pick your battles. This is not even worth getting spun up about. Definitely not worth hulking out about. Our tea towels, 23.8 years into our marriage, they still, to this day, if they've been draped on our oven door by the female of the species in our home, they are never, and I mean not once, ever straight, ever. And I learned to not, I, I haven't learned to not let it bother me. I've learned that it's not, that it's a me problem, not a we problem. And so I just casually shimmy past the oven door when I'm in the vicinity and I straighten them up and I pray to God that they stay that way for at least an hour so I can have some peace inside my home and my heart and my marriage. But it's a me problem. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. If you think it's worth your response, like if you've scored it like maybe like four and above, if you think it's like, this is something I actually do need to respond to, before you respond, ask the question, am I going to be able to respond to this in a way where I'm managing my anger and not that my anger is gonna manage me? In other words, who's in control of my response here? And if you can't confidently say that it's gonna be you in charge of your response, then at a minimum, count to 10. And we've all heard that one. It can work. Sometimes it's not enough. Sometimes you better count to 100. Uh, but here's, here's the response that I've, I've learned that's much better, is just say to the person, this thing, whatever it is, something they said, something they did, something that's happened between the two of you, whatever, this thing's actually triggered me right now. And I'd like to discuss it further, but I know that I'm not in the right space to discuss that right now. And in fact, if, if I did weigh in on this right now, things would almost certainly escalate. And by the way, when things escalate, you're now layering a problem on top of the problem. And, and so what I do, and this is, you know, use and recommend this approach is to say, can I just walk away now and with your permission, come back to you when I'm just in a little bit of a better emotional space and, and then we, I, I'm not gonna ignore it. Do the British thing. No, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, I wanna talk about, it's important to talk about, but right now, is not, I, just, I just know me well enough at this point in my journey that I'm not gonna be able to discuss this in a healthy way. So I'm gonna just walk away and there could be anything, different room, different house, different family. Di just that, no, that's just kidding about that bit. Uh, but like go for a walk or go for a drive and just get some, and, just, and it could even be the next day you come back. It could be, but the point is don't engage in that moment if you aren't confident that you can manage your anger. Pretty good, huh? Yeah. All right, number two, myth number two, anger is always bad. And if you grew up in a, in a household where there was a lot of anger and it was manipulative and abusive at times, then chances are you associate anger as always being a bad thing. That, that, that it's associated with guilt and it's associated with shame and it's associated with abuse and emotional manipulation. And that is very, very, very true of 
an aspect of anger, but it's not the whole picture. There is such thing as bad anger, and there is such thing as good anger. Again, anger is an emotion given to us by God, but how we use it and how we live it out is the thing that makes all the difference. You know, if you, if you learn to leverage off good anger, it can actually be a catalyst for positive change, both in your world and also in the world around you. I mean, if you, if you uh, have had a long history of poor health because you haven't necessarily uh, been managing your uh, physical body well, then you might get angry and say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you declare war on your bad health and you use your anger to turn things around. In that case, anger is a good thing. You might be someone or a couple or a family who have been living under the, 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 the weight of credit card debt and, and, and consumer loan debt. And you get to a point where you say, this is, this, we cannot go on like this. We're slaves to debt. And you declare war on debt. You get angry. It can be a catalyst for positive change. It can be true in relationships, marriages. It can be true with addiction, where you just get to a point where I, this, I, I, I can't go on like I'm so angry. And you can be angry that you let it get this bad. You can be angry that you let it go on for that long. But ultimately, you can use that anger to say, Today, today. So in that case, anger is a good thing. Anger can also be leveraged to have a positive influence on the world around us. Let me tell you some things that make me angry. Child abuse. When I read about that or see that on a news report, it makes me angry. And it should, right? Racism makes me angry. And again, when I see that and the impact of that locally, nationally, globally, it makes me angry. Human traffic, trafficking and modern day slavery make me angry. Right now on our planet, there are more slaves on our planet today than there have been at any point in human history. And that should bother us a lot. And poverty, which, by the way, those last two often go hand in glove, that families are known to sell a child in order to be able to feed the rest of the family. And so for us as a church, this is why we established Elevate Global. It wasn't to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. It was to acknowledge that we are blessed to be a blessing and we should get angry about poverty and we should get angry about things and we should get angry on behalf of people who might themselves get angry but have very little opportunity in their own current world and need some investment, need some resources given to them by people who are angry that they are living in those situations and grateful that we're not. And so our, our partnership with Compassion Australia and our partnership with Opportunity International Australia is all about that. It's about us as a church saying, thanks God for all of our blessings and, and, and now we are gonna take th them and we're gonna look just to our neighbours and we invest into the Philippines through Compassion and we invest into India through Opportunity International and help them families and individuals move from poverty to power. So things like, like child slavery and human trafficking don't even enter their radar. We solve two problems in one. If you 
need more information about Elevate Global, the team has uh, the brochures at the, our front desk and get into that because like, again, it requires a response, but it's good anger. And here's the third and final one. It's a myth <laughs> that anger is a management strategy. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about bosses. I'm talking about people who try to manipulate their spouse to do what they want them to do using anger. I'm talking about customers. Yeah, Karen, you. I have someone in my sphere that when they phone customer service, doesn't matter what the company is or what the issue is, but something's gone wrong, so they phone customer service. They only have one tool in their toolkit. This is the person in my sphere. And that is to start screaming and yelling and getting angry at the person that on the other end of the phone. And, and, and they can't understand, like the person in my sphere, that the more they yell, they can't understand why the person gets less and less helpful. They've never figured out, they've never connected the dots there. And I say to them, you know, you could do this. You could phone them. And they say, uh, hello, this is uh, ABC Corporation, uh, Mark speaking. You know what you could do? You could leave with this one. Oh, Mark, how are you today? I do that and I, I tell you there is 20 seconds of silence every single time I do that because these customer service people never get asked. People just launch. How am I? They say, oh yeah, so it's Mark Pomery calling. Oh, they ask you, how are you today? Well, now I probably, if I reduce the font on this slide, I probably sh should have done that to make this more accurate. Uh, it's a myth that anger is a, an effective short-term management strategy because it is true that you can on occasions get your way in the short term with certain people in certain situations, but it is not an effective long-term strategy. You will lose good people. You will erode trust. You, you will wonder why there's no high caliber people in your sphere. It's because they couldn't be bothered with you. <laughs> they say, I don't need that. And they move on to someone else who is gonna have a different approach for influence. And love and trust is always more powerful than fear and anger. Now, next week, I'd give this to you, but I don't trust you with this, so I'm going to hang on to this. Uh, could take it home and hang it properly. Um, next week, uh, Steve Hall is going to be preaching, and uh, he's going to be teaching about managing worry. Hello. And so, uh, encourage you to be here for that. Bring someone uh, for that. And this, you know, I hope this has been helpful. As much as I'm happy to put myself on display for crimes of my past. Um, the idea is that this is helpful and this series hopefully will be helpful for you. And ultimately, in these four specific emotions we're going to teach about and the big idea that we can have emotions and yet not let them manage us and take them to places God didn't want us to go. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live, and on demand immediately after.
And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.